0: G'day and welcome back for another year of Farms Advice podcast. 2023 and it's actually, it's already February. Where has a year gone already? A few people would have said that to you, I bet. Whether you're looking for rain or you're not, you know it must be a Tuesday as we release this podcast on the first Tuesday of February each year. It's been a really busy time of the year for us coming up to sale time on our farm, drafting up the guests for 2023. And also getting prepped and ready for a few events for myself, and also around the podcast, um, becoming more involved within the industry is pretty cool to see where it can take us, and also the podcast, what the podcast can do for the industry. Now, I won't actually say Farms Advice in twenty twenty three will be bigger and better, because I'd be pretty actually, I'd be pretty happy if it actually remained the same as what it did last year. We had over 100,000 downloads, 13,000 maxed out of monthly listeners. And also, I think giving you that consistency throughout the year so that you can improve your daily routine, whether you're aggro, you're an accountant, pulling motivation from it, or you're a farmer actually out in the paddock implementing a few things from an episode, whilst also listening to your professional advisors um and you can actually go and get that day off at some point 2023 is the year for making it happen and also not making 24 7 working as romantic as it has been because it's not really a little bit buggered after a long bogged drawn out harvest wherever you may have been bogged at but 2023 is going to be good i can smell it in the digit grass and I can actually bloody feel it in the spear grass. There was actually a lot of grass around at home this year. Great to see, but also not really the spear grass. So to kick off the start of series four, I thought I'd get a pretty special guest on. A guest that I've known for a fair while and a guest that has known me for even longer. That guest is my old man, Steve. So Steve, dad, He's actually been around the traps for a while. Growing up around Wilkenya, and taking over the family farm. That family farm nearly made 100 years, but I can guarantee we'll try and get this one into 100 years. Whether that's up to me, we'll see. Um, he's actually gone against the grain of the industry at times, and that's actually quite well suited him and us as a farming family um, in our decisions of what... Do we want to produce? What do we want to be and why we're sort of farming? What do we actually want out of it? So, actually, hopefully, I get to see a few things into the way he thinks through this podcast. But you know, he's actually instilled that work ethic in myself, our family, my brother. Um, but now I'm actually trying to keep him here until at least five in the evening. So the roles have reversed. This podcast is. For you in 2023 looking to make a difference for those who can't actually find the time to research and use something on a on-the-go platform you can't afford to take the days off or the petrol let alone the diesel on a thousand k trip into a capital for an event or just need to get those jobs done this podcast really is for you to tap into the expertise Right across Australia, even listening outside of your niche of farming, if you're a livestock producer, listening to the dairy farmers, how do they do it, or mixed farming and you haven't got quite quite got your cropping down pat, you can listen into the agros and see what sort of tips they may have. Or let's get back into the office for twenty three and make it happen, get down to the figures and the details. We want you to be able to Have the tools you need to beat your own benchmark and keep the family farm moving. So for 2023, please, if you can do one thing for me and the podcast, make sure you subscribe to know that you're going to receive each episode and share it with your mates. That may be two things, but it really makes this podcast reach the other farmers right across Australia with 85,000 farming families we would like to get half of them in a year or two so to have them listening in monthly we're already a third of the way for half of that so not too far off but not close enough yet so let's get stuck into 2023 and let's go farming well welcome to the farms vice podcast dad been a long time since getting you on here um to see what's going on on our farm and everything and it's just good to get the word out there um and good to have you on for our podcast i don't think you knew i actually ran a podcast or how many people listen for a while but good to have you in the studio thank you jack you'll we'll have to speak up a bit thank you jack so let's kick it off like we do with every other guest on the show you're no different being my dad but also the boss of our family farm as well so Tell us about your background. How did you get into agriculture and where did it start for you? Well, I grew up on the
1: farm, <clears throat> family farm at Wulcania um, in Alara, um, halfway between Wulcania and Tilpa, roughly, on the western side of the Darling River. Um, it had been in the family since nineteen early 1920s. Um, went to Yanko Ag School, high school. Um, then done 12 months at the Murrumbidgee BGA college and then came home and in the early 80s and worked with the parents till uh 93 I think and took over from them in 93
0: You're right so through your education like do you think Yanko did a lot for you Yanko's stopped now
1: hasn't
0: it um only the A college has yeah
1: not the high school um Oh, definitely. It did. We had ag at the school and then went on, done certificate egg at the college. Um, school, we milked cows, done pigs. You milked cows, beef, cattle, had chooks, had a veggie patch, um, which we all got rusted into doing from time to time. Um, the college was a bit different. Um, it probably taught us. The basics of ag and administration side and whatnot and, and farming side, which we didn't have much of a clue on the farming side coming from a pastoral property.
0: Yeah, so tell us a bit about, I know a fair bit, but listeners out there and everyone in the Western Districts, there's a fair few that listen in. What was it like growing up out at Kenya, having the free run, free reign?
1: Oh, it was pretty great. The social community was unbelievable back then. Um
0: yeah, just, just sort of
1: done what you needed to do and um, relaxed at times. And, um, yeah, we didn't travel too far. Broken Hill mainly for shopping-wise, yeah. occasionally Adelaide
0: and, and later years to Dubbo. So. Good stuff. And your connection to agriculture, you've never really left agriculture. It's so always worked for yourself, for your parents, um, just like we're doing now. But from Kenya moving into Dubbo, what sort of changes did you see in, like, getting through those droughts out there? We were, I know you were on the TV a bit when, was it 80s or 90s droughts? Uh, 90s. Yeah. In in the 90s. What comparisons or differences is it from Kenya moving into the Central West? Oh, big difference.
1: Um the main main difference is the workload, I suppose. Um, more intensive, more intensive. <clears throat> worms are a big burden, um, continually drenching. Yep. Um, well, we didn't at Wilkenia, only occasionally. Um, different rainfall patterns, um, a higher rainfall pattern, which makes it hard and not knowing too much of the cropping or establishing pastures either coming from out west we used to do some floodplain cropping out there but that was sort of basically it yeah coming here and you've got to watch that weather because sometimes it's either too wet or too dry so
0: well the other day i was looking at our shed and we've got all the gear and no idea at the moment out there we probably just had five bikes and a plane back in the day coming into a Using a lot more equipment here in the Central West, being more intensive in cropping and pastures and everything alike. Yeah, we um
1: that's right. Probably don't think of that side. equipment wise out there was very basic. I <clears throat> had a little dozer, a little tractor, little truck, um, bike chutes, and that was basically it. Welders and like all your farm maintenance machinery and whatnot. But um yeah, here here we've got bigger seeders bigger tractors um direct drills leaning towards direct drilling seeding and a more chemical um, usage which is a bit of a no-no for us coming from
0: an organic
1: accredited place out west as well so
0: absolutely and for coming to the new region and everything tell us a little bit about the droughts you're on the news I remember as a kid, you and your black hat um, back in the day. I remember just rolling through what is it, the mallee or something, you were getting filmed at the tank there, at the old ball, new ball, or whatever it was. How did you get through consecutive years of droughts from my time, but also the times at with Grendad as well?
1: I'm not real sure. We, <clears throat> we adjusted a lot of stock back early in the piece in the 80s and um, when transport came more available. It was always feed somewhere, so we adjusted stock from sort of Hamilton, Victoria, to Dolby, <coughs> Chinchilla in Queensland. Was that
0: all stock? Yes. Uh, so yeah, there's just, none left at Anulara?
1: No, we kept the basic um, – we, we just kept de-stocking until we had the core cool breeding flock left, which we were able to get around. Um, we didn't feed at all out there because of the cost of dragging feed out there back then. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Was, I think one one year we basically destocked to about two hundred. I think. Yeah.
0: On Analaure. Yeah. Sure. And like, what would be your one thing to sort of plow on through? We've got all these older heads, and these young blokes think they can get through a drought. But that last one sort of busted them pretty well, especially around this region. New farmers. How? the old farmers just keep plugging on everyone calls them resilient but that word gets thrown around a lot um what would you say like how do you get through it mentally and everything like that well here feeding sheep daily was
1: <clears throat> was a big um for three years was in these in this last route was a bit yeah sort of got to you at the end That's a good job
0: it rained we didn't have another 12 months of it well first of all i sort of left you on your own to go get someone else's money overseas Um. So being on your own feeding out, what what got you through? Because that was pretty that was a pretty long drought, those calls we were having from England and back and forth and everything. Um <clears throat> I'm not sure.
1: Oh, because we retained our full breeding stock. Yeah. Very costly. Um you start buying a road train
0: <laughs> B double load of grain or pellets every week. It soon adds up. Do you think if we didn't have the stud, you probably would have offloaded a few more?
1: Oh no, probably
0: not because that yeah. was
1: our breeding stock yeah. from original yeah. breeding stock. No, we would have held the core
0: core breeding use somehow or other. Yeah, well I, I think like passing on the farms advice from what you've done being a larger pastoralist out at um and these young younger heads, people like myself, trying to sort of learn off what you did, um and just all the droughts you've gone through and. Also the floods, I suppose. But let's get down and talk to me about Alaro White Dorpers. I know a fair bit about it. But what got you started? What was the sort of initial thing? Grandad used to run merinos. He had was it a registered merino
1: stud? Yeah, I was back in the early sixties. Yeah, to a drought sort of folded them up in the mid sixties. Yeah. Yeah. So what what peaked you into sort of changing? Because being out
0: west, your neighbours look at you if you do something different. Um, sticking the BDIs over the fence, what was that like and how did you actually get started bringing embryos over?
1: Well, I went to a field day in Whitecliffs and Dennis Russell, which is one of the main founders of the Damaras and um, both Dauper breeds in Australia and wassis and so forth, um, he had some little Dorpa you I'm not sure if he had them there or just photos. Yeah. Um. And they were a bit impressive, and I thought, well, perhaps they're worth a go because we we're sort of leaning towards goats a fair bit, um, drought preparedness wise, and another income. Um. And we've fenced off some paddocks for goats and so forth back in the nineties, and um, yeah, they just looked appealing as a just a pure meat sheep, and we've never really, um. I'd never done too much work on on them prior to that, knowing that there were other sort of sheep breeds out there apart from the merinos and the, our traditional British breeds. But um, so we bought a couple embryos. Um, they got dropped off, and they actually went to father's property in mine, and one was a ram and one was a ewe, and they were pretty impressive. That was '98. And
0: what do you call them? Oh, one was Anna and one was Lara. So. And they made it up to double, though. Well, they died just before um, we sold our Lara. eh? Yeah, they did. Um, They were a fair age, I think, both of them, eights,
1: nines. But that was, and then I thought then, because the Dauberbreed was pretty new, I thought, well, why not start a little stud? And it's probably the worst decision I ever made Mm -hmm. because of the workload side of things. And we did. And then we bred up. Bought more embryos in, another 20, another 30, and so forth. And that was the start of the stud side. And we done a lot of embryo transfers back in the early 2000s. Um, probably shouldn't have done that. Very costly. Wrong advice um, on the genetics side of things. Yeah. Um, we would have been better off breeding from our better genetics Um And just breeding up from them rather than doing big ET and AI programs. Just naturally
0: like what we're doing now. I
1: would think so, yeah.
0: Yeah. And initially, Grandad wasn't too happy, was he, moving away from Marino's?
1: No, it surprised him, I think. And then um,
0: I think those first couple of lambs really
1: got to him and then the next lot even got to him a bit more and um, he didn't realise what we were up to, I think. so.
0: Yeah. Good stuff. And it's probably that adapt or and all survive um, and survive or probably you're looking towards going into meat sheet there, but our white Dorper to what it is today, how many years have we been running? It's going since 98. So it's actually the 25th year we've been running this year.
1: Yeah, I suppose more likely 2000 was when we sort no, of we had cool. the 30, 40 years or whatnot. And that was our commercial. We bought 10 rams and joined to the Merinos commercially as well. And that first drop of commercial, first cross lambs, that was probably the key turning point um, to go more that way back then. Um, having trouble with shearers, getting shearers when we needed them too. Because um, I think we had coming out of the 90, 90s droughts, we had little lots that were sort of different shearings and Crutching and flies and whatnot. Um, I sort of got a bit over that and I thought, wow, these sheep look pretty good and that they were probably the best, some of the best lambs we've ever had,
0: really, that first cross line. And we didn't actually get rid of them until like breed the merino out. Um, our last merinos?
1: Uh, 2005
0: was our last shearing. Yeah. Um, we actually,
1: we'd spend a fair bit of time on reno's classing and getting the wool right and frame right so we actually bought our best dues <coughs> class dues to dubbo um i think that was about 03 04 because we're going more white dorpers out west and then i just said to myself bugger it we're not mucking our shearing anymore or um flies and whatnot so we i think we we sold them later in 2005, and it was purely white dorks.
0: Once we got our white Dorper lamb new numbers up, I suppose.
1: Oh, they were coming up pretty rapidly too. Yeah. They, they
0: bred like flies, particularly out west. Unbelievable. Were you breeding just once a year? Either? You would have been, wouldn't
1: you? No, we're sort of joining every eight months, depending on our lambing. We weren't wanting to lamb in the middle of January um, or January, February, <clears throat> mid-December, through the end of February, I suppose we tried to avoid that one. Um, but then we'd we'd be pulling RAMs out of one group of ewes and putting them straight in with another group, um, trying to build those numbers up rapidly and
0: which we did. And out there, our commercials, they fell under the organic, didn't they? Yeah. The was, uh,
1: we were um organically accredited until we left out there. Um I, the, we got a credit in about 2002 I think yeah um and that was a premium land market which was we selling into at the time uh, up until when
0: we sort of left there yeah in 2011. and so run us through AWD another I always thought for like what's the operation look like your use um and what's your breeding objectives It'd be actually good to get this out like just so. I know as well. Um, oh, well what, what are we, we chasing and why are we chasing that?
1: We're, we want to run five, we're running on five to 600 stud ewes. Um, don't really need to increase that too much. That's supplying enough rams um, and replacement use and so forth. And we've got the commercial operation around 1500 ewes to at times 2000. Um, because the start is so intense in workload related. Um it's a bigger area, bigger paddocks for smaller groups. Um probably need to cut them back more. Yeah. Um to pull that um, number into a smaller area, DC area. Yeah. Um and to get keep moving forward and buy the genetics in every few years and keep improving our genetics, um, which we're doing every year, but we just sort of aim at Mm -hmm. land plan figures and so forth, which we really haven't looked at a great deal, but we will be in future.
0: And we've got something coming up for Annalura White Dorper just around the corner. Annual sale's only a week or so away, so. And having that annual sale, the workload... I don't know, we're flat out at the moment. Weekends don't seem to be a thing. Currently, what's what's involved in the sale? Um we've we've got 120
1: odd, we've increased our RAM numbers, been increasing it since the drought. Um 120 Rams, got 10 stud ewes and a couple of hundred stud and commercial uh white dwarfers, and we introduced ultra whites here a few years ago. That they've sort of impressive shape. Yep more for the tablelands area.
0: Um, You're talking about ultra whites and what they've done for you. What was your reasoning to actually get into them and throw them out?
1: I just something different. Um, There's a couple of other breeds going pretty well in the shedding breed side as well. and, And then they just look as an alternative, um, we're not keeping any use out of them as yet. Um, we sell all uh, surplus use. We're basically just keeping them to see what figures they. Now we're breeding them over our cast range, joining our cast range stud use to them, and um, yeah, just having a look and play, see what they do. We're selling probably 40, 50 rams a year of them, and um, yep. yeah, yeah, they're, they're different, different. Um, well. We're more of a, because they're, they're a pole Dorset related breed, they they do tend to, some tend to go back to wool, but ours seem to be fairly clean. So um, we want to keep them that way. And <clears throat> they've got a bit more height and a bit more go about them and um, being more of a pole Dorset type frame and whatnot. So I, I think they'll be competitive against these other newer breeds as well. Yeah.
0: And where do you see meat sheep going? forward like where do you see the white door ultra white um there's the aussie whites out there as well where do you see meat sheep going forward and um i think the e-number side
1: commercially will keep increasing um
0: in total across australia
1: in total yeah in total yeah. across australia mainly in the um harder areas yeah um but they do do well in all areas um They're sort of hobby farmer breed too, where people can run 10 to 20 in their back paddock of 10 or 20, 25 acres plus, um, with shearing and so forth. That's a lot easier for people to run them, sort of run them like little cows, cows. rather than have to um, shear them and fly control
0: and so forth. Yep. And going through everything in this episode, probably something new for you as well, but what do you think the best piece of farm advice you've received from who was like an advisor that you learn off back in the day? Oh, there's quite a few
1: actually. Um, well, the original, original DARPA importers would have been a big one. Um, mm-hmm. Some of them are no longer with us. Um, And right yeah, right through, there's been someone there. Someone, yeah, I'm just trying to put names on or, or think of people, but there's, yeah, I mean, people right through.
0: And for anyone listening to this episode, what is like one piece of farm's like advice you'd like them to take away? Maybe going through all of those droughts, what what would you be saying that one thing is?
1: I think we're going to be better drought prepared. Um
0: have a better fodder
1: reserve. Um, but don't be afraid to destock because you can always buy them back in if necessary. Um, Adjustment side, I'm sort of against it now because it's it's a bit too hard, costly transport and so forth. Yeah. We've got to be less more reliant on those government subsidies. That way as well, um, so that's why we're going to be better prepared um, inside here. But have our pastures better prepared and managed, yeah. um, more drought tolerant plants, and so forth that will handle a hard time. I don't know whether they will handle that three year period, but um, that's a bit over the top. But there's there's not too many of them, luckily.
0: Yeah, and f- like from infrastructure to actually sort of started now. Now's a pretty good season to get started. On drought preparedness and what we can do rather than sort of saying shit, we're in a drought and starting to prepare from the back of that. I think a fair few people learn and are actually kicked out of farming from that last drought, from that. So that's a good one. And for anyone out there that's looking to get in touch with you, Steve, Dad, um, how can people do so for chasing White Dopers or just have, them. see what you're up to. We've got oh, a Facebook page there.
1: Oh I'm, like, I'm on Facebook. Don't do a hell of a lot with it. Um, yeah, phone's probably the best advice. Yeah. Um, phone, hit, email. Um, we're on everything. So. Yeah, or hit us up at
0: Alara White Dopers on Facebook, um, and Instagram. Yeah. Not TikTok yet, but anyway, Steve, Dad, thanks. For- so much for coming in for your first episode. What do you think? I was okay. Thanks for tuning in to the very first episode for 2023 of Farm Advice Podcast. We've got some exciting news that Farm Yarns is going to be a standalone podcast itself. So make sure you go across. And subscribe to Farm Yarns. We'll have previous episodes on there, but also some exciting episodes coming up. And one's really straight from the heart.